We've got our final thoughts on Iowa State before we turn our attention to Baylor. And the Oklahoma Sooners are all of a sudden projected to win three of their final four games. We'll talk about that in a few recruiting notes here on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners. Thank you for joining us. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. He's Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to, to noon on 94.7 The Ref in Norman. Uh, Josh, just real quick before we start talking about our, our final thoughts on Iowa State, the Oklahoma women's soccer team won their quarterfinal match of one nothing in a, like a final minute uh, with a final minute goal. They'll move on to the semifinals where they'll play TCU, the number two seed uh, in the Big 12 tournament, trying to advance, maybe make some noise in the national title scene. So congrats to them. Keep chugging along. Good luck to you. I think it's the third. So this Thursday night, they'll be playing down in Round Rock. So if you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and able to get over to Round Rock, make sure you go check out the Oklahoma women's soccer team in the Big 12 tournament. Josh, Oklahoma beats Iowa State by two touchdowns. It's the largest uh, margin or margin of victory for any big 12 team against the Owen five in big 12 play Iowa state Cyclones. So let's just kind of lay it all out on the line. The things we didn't get to yesterday, our final thoughts from the Sooners win on Saturday. Uh, if we're tossing out awards for, you know, non sooner football teams, uh, congratulations, by the way, to Lindsay Gray Walton and OU volleyball as well. That was a big win for them uh, over Kansas as well, but to football, uh, Iowa State, some some final thoughts that, uh, you know, news and notes maybe of the game that we didn't touch on. It's my understanding that someone out there on the YouTube side is disappointed. They feel we did not spend uh, – we did not, I guess, appropriately criticize one Marvin Mims. And is that correct? Yeah, and I, I get it. Like, he didn't have a great game. I, I hear where they're coming from. It was a really bad game. Two receptions on six targets, two drops – um, one that was pretty egregious and just not a Marvin Mims type game. I wrote a piece on it real, you know, briefly over at Sooners Wire. It was the first time that he'd had five or more targets and two drops since his freshman year. It's the lowest yardage total he's had ever uh, with five or more targets. So that kind of gives you a bit of a, a bit of context for how poor he played. At the same time, we've seen enough of Marvin Mims over you know, two and a half plus seasons to know like this is not indicative of the player that he is. This is an outlier. It's an aberration. Marvin Mims is going to be good. And I bet this game kind of fuels what we see coming up against Baylor. Yeah, I, I would imagine. So I just look, it's the first bad game. I think Marvin Mims has had in his whole career, John. So, and you know, freshman wide receivers, we see, come into a place like Oklahoma, we've seen it with, you know, CeeDee Lamb. And do, do I think that Marvin Mims is necessarily going to have the same career professionally that CeeDee Lamb has had? No, I'm not ready to go there. But, you know, Marvin Mims from day one, like a, like a CeeDee Lamb, right, like a Kenny Stills, has kind of been that rare breed that from the moment he arrived on campus was a difference maker, John. And so, look, I'm not going to rip the kid too much when he has a game where he has several drops, and by and large, every other game of his career has 
either been really, really good or it's been uh, kind of a coaching staff error to not throw targets his way. So, you know, to me, it's like, look, I get it. Marvin Mims uh, did not play a great game in Ames, Iowa, but, you know, I don't think that's about to just become this big trend with Marvin Mims. It clearly has not been his career. And look, uh, I don't think it's anything to be super panicked over. If anything, the positive there is that Jaleel Farouk was able to help pick up the the slack a little bit. But, you know, if you want to take the pessimistic side on it, John, I guess uh, we see the impacts offensively for Oklahoma when you have an off day for Marvin Mims. I mean, they still won the game. And as you pointed out, Iowa State's not uh, lost really to anybody. I mean, to nobody this season by more than one score. And dating back the last couple of seasons, John, I'm looking at the schedule right now. The last time that before Saturday, Iowa State lost a game by more than one score was Louisiana. It's season opener in 2020. Then you go back to uh, to 2019 versus Notre Dame and Kansas State at the end of that season. So, uh, And Iowa, I guess, the last season as well. But there's just not a lot of games in there where Iowa State loses by a couple of scores. So, look, uh, if you want to nitpick and be upset about Marvin Mims, his one bad game, then, yeah, by all means, be upset. But I don't think it's anything to be concerned about. Yeah, and, and I think – you know, it's fair to to throw some criticism at him, but I feel like Jeff Levy said it best. It's like, we're not going to stop featuring him. We're going to continue to have confidence in the player that he is because he's always been a really good player. When he's gotten opportunities, he's been featured in the offense, he's performed. So it's a down game. You just write it off as a bad game and you just move on. That's just kind of the way it works. As someone who's played wide receiver, played sports, sometimes you just have bad games. No matter how good of a player you can be, you can have bad games from time to time. Staying on this front, another player who kind of underwhelmed a little bit on Saturday, Marcus Major, uh, wasn't as good as what I would have hoped he would have been in, in his return, especially when Eric Gray averaged five yards per carry. I would have felt Marcus Major performed would perform a little bit better. Uh, Josh, just your thoughts on Marcus Major and his performance. He got the bad totes, I guess, right? You know, Eric Gray. And, and look, I, I'm saying that a little bit in jest. Obviously, Eric Gray has established himself here as the clear number one running back for Oklahoma. And right now, you know, with Marcus Major, is it that the book's kind of been written on who Marcus Major is going to be at the University of Oklahoma to where – He's a guy that fans were really excited about and saw some positive things from really John in some more meaningless moments, right? Not as important of snaps for Oklahoma over the course of his career. And, uh, it, or, or is this the product of look, he wasn't fully back healthy, right? And is there still something else uh, positive to come for Marcus major? Because physically I didn't see, you know, and it's tough to say, right? I mean, he obviously has been working against uh, the ankle injury, trying to come back from it. Javante Barnes, we found out afterwards, is uh, nursing him himself back to health from a hamstring. So I wouldn't imagine that the medical staff would in any way, shape, or form rush Marcus Major back to have a second running back simply because he had Javante Barnes not travel with the team with a hamstring injury. I would think, and I thought physically it looked like, Marcus Major was was back, right? That he was healthy and good to go. He got 12 carries in the game and uh, just wasn't very good with him. So I hope that there's a little bit of a rust factor there, but I'm concerned maybe kind of total opposite, I guess, from what I said about Marvin Mims. It's like you kind of go off the track record that these players have, John. And really with Mims, you got a track record for one guy that's been a star. And for Marcus Major, you kind of have a track record for somebody that's throughout the course of his entire career 
been building to try and crack the rotation and kind of never really has yet. Yeah, and then on a positive note, Billy Bowman came back, played 44 snaps for the Oklahoma Sooners, which I think is a great sign. You get him back for the stretch run, and I think it gives you your defense a lot more um, confidence in the back end. But, you know, guys like Justin Broyles, Key Lawrence, they're starting to play better football as they've gotten more opportunities as well. Key Lawrence was the highest-graded defender for the Oklahoma Sooners on Saturday. So that's huge for this team. It is, yeah. No, that's uh, obviously great to see. Really the secondary across the board. So you get Bowman back. That alone is pivotal, right, for Oklahoma. Easy to make the argument that he's been the best defensive player for the Sooners so far this season. So getting him back, 40-some-odd snaps, that's great. But for Key Lawrence to be the highest graded, that's terrific news as well. Woody Washington, right? I, I thought set the tone in this game, John. The, the early interception, we can get into uh, the replay element of it. I, like you, said it uh, in yesterday's show. I'll say it again right now. I was shocked that it was uh, upheld, that the, the play stood. But, hey, whatever, baby. It, uh, it wound up as an interception, and it helped set the tone for the game. So you had those two uh, that played well. Justin Broyles uh, had an interception in this game. So really across the board in a game where Iowa State threw it 57 times, I thought – Kind of you got pretty good contributions collectively back there. Yeah, and I think it was just a solid performance across the board. You know, the defensive line, they didn't, they just had the one sack, uh, but I feel like they produced more pressure uh, than what we've seen. And at times it was more effective pressure where it made Hunter Deckers uncomfortable. Uh, he wasn't, even when he wasn't being pressured, he wasn't necessarily comfortable back there. And I think that's what you're looking for is even if you can't get there, You've got a quarterback that thinks you're going to get there and then he's going to be rushed to throw. And so I think that's strong. So positive vibes, things moving forward. Yeah. We'd like to see Marvin Mims play better. We'd like to see Marcus major play better. And I think we will, we will see them play better. Now this week against Baylor, it's going to be a tough matchup, especially against a, a defensive front. That's really, really good. But we're looking at another winnable game for the Oklahoma Sooners. If a few things go right, we'll start talking about Baylor coming up next. We'll look at some projections from ESPN's matchup predictor for the rest of the schedule as well. Yeah, the matchup predictor all of a sudden may be kind for Oklahoma. And speaking of being kind for Oklahoma, this week's thrilling moment in college football, in Sooner football, it's brought to us by Nissan, the thrilling designs behind the new lineup from Nissan. They're intended to empower drivers and vehicles as capable as the driver themselves. And when I think of unbelievable, unbelievable abilities on the football field for this week's thrilling moment, it has to be John, a no brainer, right? It has to be the, the uh, two part tandem Turk and Schmidt, the fake for Oklahoma, easily the most thrilling moment of the game for Sooner fans. Yes. Uh, Jalil Farouk later, big score, Danny Stutzman, Nice little argument there on one that came right into the breadbasket, baby. But uh, the the fake, man, was so well executed by Oklahoma. And really, who knows how the game plays out versus Iowa State if you don't get it, right? But uh, give Brent Venables, give uh, Oklahoma credit. They made the call. It worked beautifully. It was executed It was executed perfectly from Turk to Schmidt to caving the side in and just walking right into the end zone. So this segment, it's uh, been inspired by the thrilling new designs featured across Nissan's new lineup of vehicles. Pursue what thrills you, ladies and gentlemen, in the all-new Frontier, Armada, or Pathfinder today, available now at NissanUSA.com. So the forecast 
for Oklahoma, dare I say, leaving the Cotton Bowl, John. And maybe this is, speaking of being kind, speaking of being polite, this is probably too polite. But uh, it was a little cloudy for Oklahoma leaving uh, the Cotton Bowl if you start looking at ESPN's FBI and some of their matchup predictor indexes. That forecast has softened for Oklahoma. Where do we stand now, John? So just a week ago, you looked at this team and what they had left on the schedule. They were only projected to win one of their final five games. That being Iowa State. The rest of them, the SPN matchup predictor, using simulations to kind of run through this. They run 20,000 simulations based on new data every single week. And it comes up with new information and that's how they come up with their projections. Now with Iowa, the win over Iowa State, Texas Tech getting you know beat by Baylor big, um, West Virginia again losing big, Oklahoma State getting blown out. The the sands have shifted a little bit in Oklahoma's favor to where now they're projected to win three of their final four games uh, from the ESPN matchup predictor. And uh, this week against Baylor is still you know looking at. Um, a Baylor win is there. They're the projected winner according to the ESPN matchup predictor. But then after that, right now, Oklahoma, you know, has a win probability of 56.1% against West Virginia, a win probability of 57.7%. And that's up from a week ago. That was 40.4% uh, over Oklahoma state. And then now from 39.5% win probability against Texas Tech, that's up to 51.8%. So it's amazing how much that two-touchdown win over Iowa State moved the computers. Like, it moved the needle with the computers so much that Oklahoma got, you know, 12 to 15 points in some cases in the matchup predictor in some of these matchups. So it's a computer. I mean, going into the season, Oklahoma was projected to win all but one of their games, that being the Red River Showdown against Texas. We've seen how that's kind of turned out. But it just provides a little bit of information, a little bit of uh, interesting food for thought as you go into the final stretch of the season. Now, again, we've we've said it. Every single game here is winnable. And Brent Venable said it himself. Every game is losable. Like, there's a chance they could lose every game. There's a chance they could win every game, just depending on how they play. That being said, it makes me feel pretty good about where they're at right now in that things look positive for the Oklahoma Sooners as they head towards the end of the season. It's good, and I do think, you know, for me individually, the way I perceive now these final four games has shifted a little bit, though. I will ask this question to you. Why? Why has this changed so much with the computers? You were predicted to beat Iowa State last week. You went out and did with the computers the only game that the computers thought you were going to win. Yeah, you you won it by a couple of scores, but I guess this is where the the uh, computer doesn't account for the fact that it was a one-score game late, and they threw it right into Danny Stutzman's stomach, and that's what made it a two-score game when it was all said and done. Not to take you know a bunch away from Oklahoma. I thought Oklahoma clearly made some some you know defensive improvements that we were wanting to see coming out of the bye week, I just, I guess for me, you know, even everything around Oklahoma, okay, yeah, Baylor thumped Texas Tech, so that was surprising, right? I mean, after how well Texas Tech had uh, played the week before and what they did to West Virginia. West Virginia, that that percentage you would think uh, probably should, you know, tighten up some because they hung around with TCU. Now, Oklahoma State, obviously, that's the one to where, 
you could see why that would pretty dramatically shift. But uh, I don't know. I mean, you you do what you're supposed to do, and I guess it's just just the Oklahoma State loss. I mean, the way that they lost, or Texas Tech, the way that they lost, is the main reason uh, West Virginia losing again, right? But actually playing better. I mean, West Virginia definitely played better than a week before. So I don't know. It's interesting that those projections have changed as much as they have. I'm not upset about it, though. It's good news for Oklahoma. And I would say that, uh, you know, kind of like I said, I think, last week to you, John, it's this week versus Baylor to me that was always going to tell me more about how the rest of the season is going to play out. And if anything, you know, last week what Baylor did to Texas Tech only reaffirmed that for me. We'll talk about Baylor in just, just a second, but I think the thing that is the biggest difference with Oklahoma's performance against Iowa State is what they did against the run. This was a run defense that came into that game allowing more than 200 rushing yards per game. Like, that's terrible. That is a terrible rushing yards allowed performance for Oklahoma. And they held them to 66 rushing yards, 2.4 yards per carry. So that, to me, is the biggest difference in what this defense did is they stopped the run. Like they hadn't been able to do that all season long. Now they still struggled a bit in the passing game, but they were actually able to make some hay in one phase of their defense. And that's in stopping the run. We'll see how well that translates this week against Baylor because Baylor is one of the best rushing teams in the country. They've got a great offensive line. They got a, a freshman that's playing really good football right now. So that could be, that's going to be another big test for them. But if they're able to slow them down a little bit, it, I think it, kind of puts proof in the pudding about what they did against Iowa state and it translating to uh, this, this game against Baylor. But yeah, I think, I think so much of it is just based on some of the, the things that happen outside of Oklahoma's control, the game in Morgantown, it's going to be a huge test. They play so much better there offensively than they have on the road, you know, against Texas tech, they only put up 10 points uh, the week before that they beat Baylor 43 to 40. This past week, they put up 31 on TCU, and like you said, they hung around. So it's it's going to be interesting when, when Oklahoma does go to Morgantown to play West Virginia. I think they're going to get a, a good test, and it's going to be a, a strong offensive performance for the Mountaineers. This defense better be kind of up, you know, better be ready to play. They better have their game ready because they seem to play much better football when they're in their home confines. Well, yeah, I mean, you hit on what, again, is going to be probably, at least defensively for Oklahoma, the big story this week versus Baylor is, can OU slow down Richard Reese, right? Can you can you do a good job uh, defensively against the run again? Because you're right, Baylor as a team averages uh, 201. Let's just, let's just round down, right? Let's not give them that 200-second yard. 201, uh, 200 rushing yards per game, right, is what Baylor averages. That's 24th nationally. And Richard Reese just this past weekend carried 36 times for a buck 48 and three scores. So an area that uh, obviously Iowa State was not good at, Oklahoma in an area that it's not been good at in rushing defense was good at, right? Okay, well, now you've played, you know, you've, you've had the good performance versus Iowa State, and now you get to play a team in Baylor again that's good in that category. So has there been uh, legitimate progress made there? And if the answer, like you said, I mean, if the answer to that question is yes, then uh, not only is Oklahoma going to win this week versus Baylor, that's going to bode well for Oklahoma, John, to win out, to win every game that's left on its schedule. And we'll continue to talk a little bit about Baylor after I talk to you about sweat block. Hey, 
Just because the weather is turning cooler doesn't mean you're not going to still deal with some excessive sweating issues if you deal with them. Indoors, it's getting warmer, it's getting drier, and sometimes you just got too many layers on. If you're going to holiday parties, you might have that that big, ugly Christmas sweater on, and it might cause you to sweat. If you deal with excessive sweating, then you might need to go check out Sweat Block. It's the doctor-recommended, doctor-created way to produce or for, hmm, prevent excessive sweating and odor. Again, it's able to help anybody. If you got a friend or a loved one that is dealing with excessive sweating, they might need to check out Sweat Block. And they can go to sweatblock.com right now and get 20% off using our promo code Locked On. It's available on Amazon as well. So go to sweatblock.com, use our promo code Locked On to get 20% off. All right, Josh, a few more notes here on Baylor before we touch on a few recruiting nuggets as well. Would it surprise you to learn that Baylor is averaging 39 points per game and is 15th in the country in that realm? Now, 35 points per game in Big 12 play, which to me is still pretty surprising because I don't see them as an offense that's just lighting everybody up week to week. Yes, it absolutely surprises me. I, you know, part of it is, I guess, uh, you know, the West Virginia game, obviously helps and this texas tech game obviously helps for baylor and then the kansas game you would be right on that conference number right but uh you know to me i I just i'll tell you why it surprises me is blake shapen is someone that i was very very high on coming into the season and not that his numbers i mean just looking at the raw numbers for him he's thrown for a little over 1800 yards 13 touchdowns versus five interceptions. So, I mean, the numbers, you know, the numbers themselves, not bad, but it's been, it's been roller coastery, right? It's been up and down with Blake Shapen at no point this season have really, I kind of felt about Shapen that, Oh, this is, this is one of the big 12 best quarterbacks. Right. And I don't think consistently Baylor's gotten those types of results from him. So with that in mind, yeah, I'm some, you know, I'm looking at the numbers this week. I'm surprised it's that good. I am. Yeah, he's been okay. Like he's been kind of the bus driver, a la Gary Bohannon, but hasn't necessarily provided the same rushing effort that Bohannon provided last year. And he's turning the ball over a little bit more. And so it, it's it's interesting. I mean, they're a Richard Reese team. Like it's Richard Reese, and it's that offensive line that's really driving the bus for this team. You know, this past week, Blake Shapen just completed sixty three point three percent of his passes. He was nineteen to thirty for 211 yards, averaging just seven yards per attempt a week ago against Kansas only threw for 164 yards and a touchdown had two interceptions uh, against West Virginia. You know, he had a big game through for 326 and two touchdowns against Oklahoma state, 345 and two touchdowns, but also through two interceptions. So he's been very much a roller coaster. Um, you know, he's not necessarily driving the ball down the field all the time. So it's really it's really fascinating to see. And now they did lose a guy like Tyquan Thornton to the NFL draft this past year. So they're breaking in some new skill talent as well. But against Blake Shapen, you're going to have a chance to make some hay as a defense. He's he's solid. He's good. He may not turn the ball over as much as Hunter Deckers does, but he's going to he might provide you some opportunities to take the ball away. I don't think he's going to be an overly aggressive player. So. I don't think you're going to have to worry about him pushing the ball down the field on you so often. He's going to just kind of take what you give him. So if you give him something underneath, I think that's going to be what he takes. Um, 
but yeah, it's it's all about slowing down Richard Reese and slowing down this running game because you want to make Blake shape and play in second and long, third and long situations. That's just kind of what I've seen out of this at this point. Now he can he can definitely light you up if you give him openings. If you have some busted coverages, he'll make you pay for it. But I don't think he's going to be out there threading the needle, you know, making these you know pinpoint accurate passes and just you know picking you apart if you're in zone coverage. Drop again, kind of like with Hunter Decker's dropping guys in the zone. That's going to put a little bit more pressure on shape and to, to really work through his progressions and find those soft spots. I don't know if he's going to be up to that quite yet. One area that, uh, you know, could work out in favor in this game again, would just love to see Oklahoma do this again, but uh, Baylor has allowed 15 sacks, right? Which is kind of middle of the road, j- just about right smack dab. Uh, in the middle of all college football, actually very similar to Iowa State's numbers. Iowa State's tied 67th and Baylor's 61st in that category nationally. So that's one area, too, to where with somebody like Shape and John that, you know, at times has been really good, really good uh, throwing the football down the field, but other times it's kind of just been okay. He's also, at times, uh, throughout the course of this season, teams have been able to get back there and beat this offensive line and get to him a little bit, right? or he's not had the mobility to escape a little bit. So that could be an area to where maybe Oklahoma this week defensively can find a little bit of an edge. Yep. And a few more, there's a couple of things we want to touch on, on the recruiting side of things before we get out of here. And we'll continue to talk about Baylor as we get through the week, we're going to have our crossover uh, with our guy, uh, Blake, sorry, Drake, uh, toll of locked on bears locked on Baylor. Uh, we'll have that this week. Sorry. That was a terrible promo. Drake, my bad. I know you're going to crush me for it at some point. If you listen to the show, my apologies, but Drake C toll great coverage for locked on Baylor. So if you're looking at figuring out what's going on with Baylor heading into this week, great show locked on Baylor. Check that out. Caleb Spencer, three-star linebacker commit for the Oklahoma Sooners flips to Miami seemingly kind of out of nowhere from my perspective it's surprising but not all that surprising at the same time so you know oklahoma got three linebackers four-star players in the 2022 recruiting class and jaron canick uh, kobe mckenzie and kip lewis they've got three four-star linebackers two of which are in the top 150 in the 2023 recruiting class but you got samuel omasigo lewis carter and then phil picciotti as well so three four-star linebackers in 2022 three in 2023 that's a pretty deep linebacker group as you start getting all these guys on campus based on star ratings alone. Now I know that's not the be all end all. A lot of it, a lot of things change once you get on campus as you know, my former co-host David Walker would used to say the stars go away. Once you get on campus, it's all about what you do once you get there. That being said, a crowded linebacker room. So again, not all that terribly surprising. They've got, some options they're looking at Akana out of Utah, a four-star player that probably projects as an edge or an outside linebacker type. Um, disappointing to lose a player. It always is at the same time. I don't think it's going to hurt this recruiting class all that much when it's all said and done. Yeah. You make a, a good point about some of the other guys that obviously Oklahoma has committed. Uh, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say it's uh, it's good. At, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, when you you lose somebody, I mean, while you've, you know, obviously uh, recruited well, it seems like, right, Jaron Canick, I think everybody's uh, 
you know, very, very positive about what his future could look like. He's already seen snaps. We'll see about both McKenzie and Kip Lewis. Obviously, you know, the star ratings look good for those guys. And, you know, this class looks good in that regard too. But, man, uh, the, the more guys you can have that are 6'3", 210, sure, bring them on down. But, uh, obviously, you know, for him, if Miami's a better fit, then Miami's a better fit. The other piece of the uh, recruiting puzzle, I know a bunch of people were holding out hope that maybe Caden McDonald would make that Oklahoma decision. He uh, – followed where the crystal balls were indicating and committed to Ohio state. If you missed it today. So that's uh, I mean, that was expected, right? I mean, the, the, the flip obviously was a surprise with Caleb Spencer, Caden McDonald. Maybe you felt like you, you know, obviously had a puncher's chance because you were still in the mix, but kind of felt like the writing was on the wall with that one that he wasn't going to commit or come to Oklahoma. Yeah. It just didn't seem like he was as much on the radar as some other interior defensive line players that we've been targeting you know the the bigger surprise on that was david hicks like david hicks you felt like you were going to get at worst you felt like it was 50 50 like kate you know with mcdonald's like okay he's he's kind of included oklahoma but it didn't really seem like that was a real like they had a legit shot at that one at least from my perspective so it happens you're not going to win them all it's not an indication as to whether or not todd bates is a good recruiter or not remember People were killing DeMarco Murray just not that long ago for his supposed lack of ability to recruit and then went out and got Gavin Sawchuk and uh, Javante Barnes. And hey, I'm going to give him a little bit of, I'm going to give him, you know, um, Rayleigh Brown as well. Like he got Rayleigh Brown committed to Oklahoma just because Lincoln Riley left. I mean, that that's a pull. It's understandable. You don't want to lose that guy, but DeMarco Murray did a lot of the legwork on that one too and got him to commit. So, I mean, DeMarco Murray showed his recruiting chops. And then Todd Bates, he was the national, like the recruiter of the year back, what, 2019, 2020, something like that. So let's not overreact to the idea that, yes, because you lost David Hicks, yes, because you lost uh, Caden McDonald, that he's not a good recruiter. Remember, you still got Derek LeBlanc coming. He and Miguel Chavis, they tag team these guys as well. You still got Colton Vasek, at least for the time being. You still got P.J. Atabare as well. So this, this defensive front for the 2023 recruiting class is still a blue-chip front. You'd like to see them maybe get, a, get another flip in there, get back into the David Hicks sweepstakes and see if you can get him turned back to Oklahoma at some point over the next few months. But again, don't sweat Todd Bates. Don't worry about it. He's a good recruiter. Oklahoma's defensive front is going to be fine. Brent Venables has proven time and time again that he knows what he's looking for in defensive linemen, and he knows how to get them to the NFL through the production at the college level. So no sweat. Josh, anything you want to say on that front? I agree with you. I think that those guys are going to find those guys. I've made the remark in the past, though. <laughs> And I know it's not going to sit well with at least one of our listeners. You got to show me that you're getting Caden McDonald though. Right. I mean, flip David Hicks uh, at some point, this is the kind of guy it's not Caleb Spencer. It's Caden McDonald that uh, Oklahoma needs. They, they, they got to find somebody that's six foot three, three ten that can go be that, uh, you know, blue chip defensive tackle piece that Oklahoma has, has just flat out been missing for the last decade plus. So this one hurts a little bit, even though I don't think that Oklahoma, though they were here with, you know, Clemson, Florida, Michigan, whoever, right? Ohio State, obviously, where he's committed. Didn't feel like Oklahoma was as much as 
in the mix is those other schools. And obviously he picks Ohio state. This is the type of player though, that, you know, Todd Bates and company, they got to find a way to going forward, get this kind of guy, because look, this is somebody from Sewanee, Sewanee, Georgia, that's going to Ohio state. So you could have gotten, could have gotten this kid. Yeah, and, and you're right. They got to find a way to get those big interior defensive line pieces to really fortify that defensive front. And I think they will at some point. I think it's going to come. It just may take time to, to really get that figured out, but I think it's going to happen at some point. So that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Again, thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks for making Locked On Sooners your first listen. Now go check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast with our guy, Peter Bukowski, bringing you all of the latest in the top stories from the sporting world in under 20 minutes locked on sports today available wherever you get your podcasts and on youtube but until next time he's josh helmer i'm john williams we'll catch you then boomer sooner